0: Hello hello
1: hello and welcome to another episode of SGX Play clap 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 doing the introduction never gets old for me i don't know like at what point do i start getting bored of this guys cuz this is still no, my time.
2: <laughs> Wait, hello, hello hello, is like the easiest salutation ever. How can you get bored of the easiest salutation in the world? It
1: really does set the tone for the podcast. Like, I think it'd be weird if just one episode, we just don't say three hellos. <laughs> anyway, if this is your first time joining us on SG Explained, I'm Charmian. And with me, of course, I have Rovig, Elliot. And we do have someone special on this episode, which we will bring in uh, really, really shortly. But you know... Since I only see you guys once a week on our recording session, how have you guys been?
3: I've been at F1 this weekend, so sure I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm actually like really tired right now because uh, I haven't been able to sleep that much.
1: <laughs> I hate that people do that. Like they go out and have fun and then they say, oh, I'm so tired from all the fun I've been having. Like- <laughs>
2: I had a great weekend too and I'm gonna rub it in your face. Like literally right now. This weekend, I went to play in a card game tournament and I ended up being fifth in that entire. So it's a national championship. Yeah. And I ended up being fifth. So I won a a truck ton of money
3: Ooh. and I'm celebrating. Yeah. Okay. It's a great weekend. Well, I, I didn't know you are gonna win money from these things. So what else would I play? <laughs> for the fun? You think you <laughs> play for fun?
1: <laughs> it's good to know that you guys had a good weekend. I spent it working, you know. Working out?
2: Like, Working out la, like cycling. Actually and- working
1: out and working la. I had shoots. But uh I enjoy I enjoy what I do, so all's good, all's good. You know, I was just looking at our uh, content calendar, right? Because we have one of those and I realized we're coming to the end of season five. We're a few episodes away from that season review. And when I look back on it, I can't help but feel like a sense of accomplishment that we managed to cover so much of what it means to be Singaporean. I mean, for you guys, four seasons in. Like, I don't know how you guys do it, but for me, at least, I've just been so glad that we can use this platform to, you know, talk about these sometimes pretty controversial issues. If you've been listening to our past few episodes, but more Mm -hmm, than that, I'll mm -hmm. kind of shine the light on communities that don't always get like a voice or loud enough voice. And I think this is like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to save this for our uh Season review, right? But I genuinely feel like, like, so heartened to be able to do this <laughs> and integrate these important issues uh, as part of our content.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's the main reason why we do the work that we do. I, I still remember we did an episode a while back, and when I'm trying not to get into season review mode right now, <laughs> <laughs> we did an episode a while back on SPCA, and I remember Elliot cried. And then he says, this Can, the everyone that Can you not tell people I cry? Come on. I don't, I don't need to tell. You are the one who tells people on the show. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry.
2: I just get, I just outlash myself like whenever people like, say these things about me, but it's true. It's true.
3: It's very cool to be able to talk to people in the community and be able to learn about what they're doing. And, I mean, yeah, today's episode is pretty exciting in that regard.
1: Truly is, because I honestly learned so much from doing the research. So today, we're actually bringing to you a special episode together with MINDS MYG. And MINDS MYG is a member of the National Council of Social Services and is supported by Community Chest. Now, MINDS actually stands for the Movement for the Intellectually Disabled of Singapore. So that's M-I-N-D-S. And MYG is the subsidiary voluntary wing of this organization. So in time for their 50th anniversary, we've actually invited Jessica with Minds MyG to give us a better understanding of not just people with intellectual disabilities, but to kind of share with us the perspectives and experiences of being a caregiver. Usually when we talk about caregiving, um, the attention immediately goes to the person receiving the care, you know, obviously. But I think today will be quite an interesting shift in that, kind of a good balance to be able to hear from the caregiver uh, herself and uh, just hear, you know, her stories, her experiences and also debunk some myths that we might have about people with intellectual disabilities. So lots of good stuff today. Let's start by welcoming Jessica on the podcast. Welcome, Welcome. welcoming sounds. Woo. Hi, hi. Hi, thank you for having me. No, thanks so much for coming on here. And I think before we um, get to know Jessica, uh, we just want to make a disclaimer here that, how how do you say that again? uh?
2: Except for Shamien, Vovik, and myself, all names in this episode are actually omitted. We're replacing them with, you know, fictional names.
1: Thank you, Al. <laughs> can, can we just use that? Right. So, Jessica, um, before we you know get into the meat of the episode, uh, maybe you can share with us more about yourself. You know, like what are you doing outside of the volunteering? Obviously, who you are as a person, uh, and what you've been helping with in Minds MyG.
0: So, I'm actually currently volunteering uh, with my school. So, uh, I'm actually a student from NTU. And oh, hello. I was from NTU too. Oh, this is going to
2: happen all over again.
1: <laughs> hey, school pride is a real thing, okay? Anyway, hi Jessica. <laughs>
0: hi. Yeah, so uh it's actually from my school that I get to know about this like uh club. So, um I actually joined the this is like CCA called RSPID. So it actually stands for the regular service project for the intellectually disabled.
1: Right. Yeah, so
0: actually we work together with uh Minds MYG to facilitate like sessions every Saturday for our trainees so for our beneficiaries we call them trainees so what we do uh, every Saturday is that we will actually dedicate like around three to four hours uh, every Saturday afternoon to like host sessions for our trainees and usually these sessions are mainly revolving around them helping them to like develop and also reinforce some skills necessary for independent daily living such as learning some simple housekeeping skills, hygiene, etc. These weekly Saturday sessions are also catered more towards giving them the opportunity to mingle around and have some fun with their fellow friends and uh, also our, with our volunteers and the trainees. Uh. So it's actually kind of highly beneficial for them because they spend a lot of their time actually at home so actually this session actually gives them the opportunity to really interact with people outside of their family so these sessions that we host uh it helps them to slow down their mental and physical deterioration and mm. also this short three to four hours right it also helps to give us caregivers actually like a slight braver uh to have some form of a mental break. As pretty sure most of us out there who have the experience of being a caregiver, we understand how difficult it it must be having to uh, interact with them on a day-to-day basis. So actually these three to four hours is actually also beneficial for us as caregivers because we can have like so-called like a mental break so that we can actually rejuvenate ourselves and also be a better self for our, our loved ones.
2: That's awesome.
3: Mian, what were you doing at NTU? You huh? see people like Jessica? Mian was zooking up. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> okay, I'm actually very curious, Jessica, because it sounds like really, really meaningful stuff that you're doing. I have to ask, like, what made you want to spend your time that way? Like, what drew you to it? Yeah.
0: So actually, to give more context as to why I started wanting to volunteer for this course, it's actually because, as mentioned, I'm I'm actually a caregiver. So it's actually my my nephew that I'm actually very close to. Basically, he was, like, around three to four years old. We felt like there was something amiss because he wasn't able to, like, really speak out. And every time he he wants something. He always talked in a like a very baby, very gibberish way. It's not right. something like a normal three to four years old would like uh, express themselves. So it's actually very new to my family. And it was uh, around then when he went for his regular pediatrician checkup. So that was when we talked to them about the situation, and the pediatrician actually mentioned that oh this could be actually the global development delay. At that point of time, it was actually very difficult for us uh, because we really had no one that we know around us that had this condition. It was a bit difficult at first, but it was actually when they actually introduced him to this like epic centre. So this epic centre is like for like uh, young kids, I believe. They're actually diagnosed with global development delay. So what they do is that they have like catered, specialized sessions that can actually help them to gain their verbal skills, like Mm. improve their verbal skills. And that was what happened. There was a very drastic improvement from not being able to even call his parents mommy, daddy. He could go on to like utter simple vocabulary, like saying, please, thank you, make forming a sentence. And I would say this was what actually inspired me la, to, to actually want to find out more about this organization.
1: Wow. I'm actually so glad that we have volunteers like this. <laughs> you know, I mean, it started off as a CCA but like you can really tell from her own experiences that she genuinely wants to learn like the ropes of bettering someone else's quality of life. It's not just a CCA to her. So, thank you Jessica for being so open about sharing your family. Like, how it's involved in this as well. So,
2: we understand that Minds MYG dedicates their time and energy to enriching the lives of persons with intellectual disabilities or PWIDS, right? Um, through these meaningful programs that Jessica kind of described. And MYG aspires to impart these persons with intellectual disabilities with life and social skills aimed at helping them integrate into society and to gain an open employment. Now, before we get into the volunteer program itself, I kind of think it's important that we first understand the term intellectual disability. You know how we love it at SJ Explained via our definitions and deep dives into really just how we speak about it?
1: And it's literally in our name. We explain stuff.
2: Whoa, you know what? That just blew my mind. legit. (laughs) An intellectual disability is not an illness or a disease, but rather a slower mental growth. It is a condition that can develop before during or after the birth of a person and the limitations are more apparent before they turn 18. This could mean limitations in daily living, self-care, safety and sometimes even social skills. Due to a delayed or disordered cognitive development, a person with intellectual disability generally has an intellectual functioning that is significantly below average of sometimes 70 and below.
3: I I like how the definition is very clear that it's not an illness or a disease, right? It's basically someone who just has a different, I guess, rate of mental growth. And I think I was also reading, I went for a bunch of TED Talks and I've been trying to read up about like neurodivergence, right? Actually, the fact that people's brains uh, develop differently, people's view of the world can be very different. And actually, yeah, we shouldn't see it as a quote-unquote deficiency, but really in some ways, just people who have different needs, right? And all of us have different needs.
2: All of us have different needs. There's a spectrum of intellectuality and we just have to kind of figure out where we are and how we can help people who fall on different ends of the spectrum.
3: So intellectual disability can be caused by a number of reasons at various points of human development. And while these are non-exhaustive, there are some common reasons that lead to the disorder, right? So let's look at stage by stage. So before birth, it could be due to genetic inheritance. It could also be because of complications during pregnancy. So if, for example, a pregnant mother suffers from infection during prenatal or neonatal development, that could cause some... Uh, effects on rate of mental growth as well. During birth, as in the delivery process, there can also be stuff, I actually have heard of this, where uh, there could be, for example, complications during delivery that lead to asphyxia, right, which is a lack of oxygen leading to brain damage during prolonged labor and trauma. And it can be quite scary and stressful for a lot of the people involved. And then finally, after birth, uh, there could also be stuff that leads to intellectual disability, including malnutrition, infections, injury or trauma leading to brain damage. A very popular example of this is if you look at American football, uh, you hear a lot of times of American football players having sort of development issues later on because they keep getting their heads hit on the field. So that's actually, there's a whole like uh, world of literature around that oh important fact i hope that people notice while some development disabilities are a result of a disease the disabilities themselves are not contagious you cannot get for example autism by talking to someone who has autism right so
1: i think it's great that you brought up that point rovi because honestly when i was um researching on this topic and just wanting to find out like what are the like the stereotypes or the myths surrounding uh, PWIDs, I was just so like taken aback that there are actually people, I guess maybe in the past, now, I mean, with education and all, it's slightly better. But I was just surprised to know that people thought that cognitive developmental disability is contagious. If anyone thought it was, like, I really hope that this episode sets the record straight. Yeah. And actually, um, Jessica, I guess this is like, Where I wanted to kind of bring you in um, from personal experience, you know, helping your nephew and caring for him. You said that you noticed that something was amiss when he was about three or four, right? So when you brought him to the doctor and the pediatrician kind of diagnosed him, did they point out like a particular like traumatic injury that caused autism later in his life? Or, like, can you actually trace back to, like, the, the incident or the cause of it? At
0: that point of time when we went to see the doctor, the doctor couldn't really diagnose what was the reason. They said, like, there was a couple of reasons, like, what you mentioned, Some of them could be hereditary, could be, like, our, like, ancestors that one of them may have had it so it could have been they could have skipped generation because as far as we know none of my family members like our close relatives they don't have this condition so we were actually very surprised as to how how he had it thanks
3: so what are some of the characteristics of someone with an intellectual disability right there are a couple of traits that play out the first is short attention span the second is difficulties remembering retaining information also inability to regulate one's behavior. And I was just thinking that actually a lot of this tends to play out in schools, especially when mm-hmm. uh, I know a lot of parents who are friends of mine, right, who are parents who actually will find out that hey, maybe my kid has special needs or intellectual disability because the teacher will start to notice that actually they have the kid has difficulty picking up stuff, right? So on one hand the parents will say, Hey, maybe he's just not smart, lah, right? Maybe he's a, a C student, right? But actually if you unpack it. Uh, there's a lot more, it's a lot more to it that actually may indicate an intellectual disability. Uh, some of these things are delayed language development, so sort of what Jessica was talking about with the ability to speak, right? Uh, slow learning rate and poor social and communication skills. But I think what's interesting about these stories I shared is that actually noticing this doesn't mean that they can't do well in school, at least based on what I was uh, witnessing. And I know that there's this myth that children with intellectual disabilities can't learn in school, right? That maybe that they're not fit for school. But actually, I'm curious, you know, Jessica, how has that been for from your experience, right? Do you see that people with intellectual disability actually can perform in school? Can they actually be in a learning environment?
0: This move is definitely not true. Because um, based on my personal experience alone, even for my nephew, right? he's still able to learn like we mentioned it's just like a delayed kind of reaction so they learn things a bit more slower and so uh, in fact most people with learning disabilities can actually learn quite well only that they learn in different ways and also in different environments so the way they process reading or mathematical information is not really the same as that of a typical student So, like, for instance, my nephew, he's actually currently studying at a special needs school. Actually, he has made great improvements. Uh. So, last time, wow, even like. great to hear. Yeah. So, like, just last time, even like simple things like one plus one, he could never get it right. He could never understand, like, what is one plus one. But it was like through school that they have this, like, so called special. um. Method that they are using that mm-hmm. they can just somehow get them to understand, and one of them right is actually maybe making things more direct and simple for them to like understand, so that they can actually be more independent when they are doing their homework. So actually, one thing very surprising is that as he aged, right, he like knows what he needs to do. So whenever uh, he comes home, he will immediately go and take his homework, and then he will start doing it, which is actually very surprising. Cause I wouldn't have expected him to like have this, a cue to know that he needs to do this. But it just shows that they are just like us. It's just that they are like a little slower in terms of understanding. But as they do the routine more and more, they actually can understand and they know what needs to be done. So like even doing his homework, right? He requires minimal supervision. He will just take out his homework. Yeah, and just start doing it himself. And if like he really doesn't know, he will actually approach me and ask me, uh, to help him. It means that they do know the importance of doing homework. They will still eventually learn and grow eventually. Yeah. Just like a normal child.
3: I was also just thinking about, I don't know if you guys have watched A Good Doctor. Yeah. Yes, I love that show. I love that show. I mean, it's fictionalized, but I think it's a, it's a very good show for people who know near nothing about people with autism, right? I mean, the main character is basically a doctor who has autism and Um. he is a doctor, which is you know, you need to you need to be able to to learn and to to develop sort of knowledge, right? And so it goes to show that a lot of these myths are definitely not rooted in in reality. I mean a good doctor again, fictionalized, but I think they've taken elements from like real... But
2: great show. But great show. I mean, can't recommend
3: it enough.
1: Since we're on the topic of myth-busting, and I think it's great that we have Jessica here with her first-hand experience to kind of help us debunk these myths, but also add her own like um, background and her experiences in it. I thought let's discuss, you know, some other myths that we might have heard or believed to be true just from the lack of like information or a resource to know more about it. So... I don't know if you guys have heard this myth, but apparently some people believe that the intellectually disabled are considered mentally ill. And I would say this is one of the biggest myths surrounding uh, intellectual Mm -hmm, disability, mm -hmm. right? Well, fact is, a developmental disability is neurological in nature. So it is not the same as a mental illness. In fact, a person with developmental disability may develop mentally below the average rate or may have trouble with learning or adjusting to the environment, as Jessica mentioned. But these individuals actually can learn. And although it can't be treated like a mental illness and are usually lifelong, you know, through education, they can be trained to live fulfilling and independent lives through appropriate intervention education. So exactly like what Jessica mentioned with her nephew and all that. And it's so, it's so good to hear, you know, firsthand, like Mm -hmm. I guess for parents, right. Especially for parents. I think when you first get the diagnosis, just so many different scenarios go through your head. You're thinking like, how can I support my kid? How can we help them integrate into society? Just so many worries. And I think if parents are listening to this episode and this could be something that they're struggling with, with a new diagnosis, perhaps, I hope that they find comfort in, you know, this this myth bunking right here.
3: I remember hearing that the easiest way to un- unpack these things is to compare it to the physical version, right? So, you know, there is a difference between having a physical disability and having a physical illness. Mm. You can be physically sick, but be able to have all your capacities, right? But you can also be physically disabled or physically with special needs. And then at the same time, also be well or sick. It's the same thing with intellectual disability and mental health issues, right? Or mental That's a great metaphor,
1: health. yeah. Okay, the next myth we're, um, we're going to be discussing is this one. Children with autism cannot feel or express love or empathy. And reading this myth made me feel so, so sad. But the fact is, people with autism feel emotions, but they communicate their feelings differently. And many people with autism are highly capable of feeling and expressing love. In fact, I think it was this documentary on Netflix or something. It's called Love on the Spectrum. And They show like real life stories of real people with like autism falling in love and they show them having empathy and having real relationships and connections. And honestly, when you watch it, you will cry. So if you're into, you know, learning something new and also just want a good cry, love on the spectrum but yes back here um yeah they they are fully capable of feeling and expressing love but in unique ways and actually if you think about it don't we all express love in unique ways yeah definitely definitely he's so weird like i see the way like he hangs out with his wife Weird, but it's Yeah, I'm a
2: simp. I'm a simp. You know, like that's my way of expressing
1: love. Furthermore, there are individuals with autism who have the capacity for empathy, though they may not always be able to express the empathy in a typical manner. You know, you can't expect them to sit there and hold space for you or expect... Or rather, give them the same expectations that you would as someone who is, um, you know, fully capable of having that cognitive understanding, right? And others, however, do suffer from lack of empathy as a result of autism, but... No child with autism is the same, and I think that is the main point that we need to drive home here. Not all children with autism you know react the same way, have the same behaviors, or even have the same characteristics, just like any other any other child, right We all have our own idiosyncrasies, our, our quirks. so the actual name of the disability for autism is autism spectrum disorder, ASD. And it's literally in the name that it is a spectrum disorder. So children with autism are just as individualistic on different parts of the spectrum. And I thought it was, you know, so interesting that the name is literally, well, the word spectrum is literally in the name, but because we always just shorten it with autism, autism, I think sometimes we forget or we don't know enough about ASD to realize that different children with autism react very differently and have very different needs.
2: It's high time that we recognize also, just like anyone else. It's not just people on the spectrum, right? But every individual already expresses their own love, their own ways of showing empathy. Some sh- don't show empathy uh, and they're like, you know, not on Whatever the spectrum, you- I guess. Yeah. I-, I got friends who really don't care. and like, They're worse. But you know, my point is that everyone really does it on, on a very different wavelength. So why? Why not the uh, intellectually challenged as well, right? There's there's a lot of ways to to view that and to accept each individual as their own being. And I think that's just a general rule for living life as you approach different people in everyday scenarios.
1: This is where I also want to bring in Jessica with her experiences. So you spent two years volunteering with Minds MyG. Were there any um, moments like during your volunteering years that you you find? are so memorable like you've really experienced like love and care with the people that you care for i think those are so special so do you have any of those
0: definitely i have like many experiences with that i'll say one of them is actually like with this trainee that that's at my center so in fact in throughout my two years i've never really heard her speak before she's actually very very shy and she doesn't really uh articulate her words well and even in activities she doesn't like really actively partake in them but Mm. it's It's okay we don't we don't force them it's um it's like their will right if they are they are good with doing it we let them do if they're not good we'll just let them be themselves give them the space that they need every time like we try to talk to her she'll just avert her eyes she'll just avert her eyes and she wouldn't want to look at us to get her attention i will actually um try to make eye contact with her and you can tell that she enjoys the attention when she just averts her eyes and just smile secretly to herself like, even under the mask, I can still see it. So, I know that she enjoys the the presence of us being there. Like, even though she doesn't really show it, like like we mentioned, like she doesn't really show it out, like, physically or verbally. But you can just, like, see it through her facial expression. She will, like, just smile, like, secretly to herself. And that's why I know that. That's how I know that she enjoys it. That's a very
2: Aww. sweet story. That's a very sweet story.
0: And then I have another one, which is even more sweeter. So, there's this teacher... Who is uh, okay, this is not my personal story, but this is something that I I saw. So uh we have I have this other trainee. Uh she's actually very close with one of our teachers, and that teacher is actually very fierce. Very fierce. And she's the type who wouldn't uh be afraid to tell the trainees what not to do, what to do. So it's uh very strict. And the, the, but the trainees know that it's for their own good. So they will actually listen to that, to, to her. And one thing very sweet was that time when we we had this activity where we wanted them to write cards. She she actually uh, drew the teacher and even write "I love you" the Aww. teacher. Yeah, she even articulated, say, this is my teacher. And then she said, I love you. And I think that was really very heartwarming at that point of time, yeah. So really, there is very different ways of of them expressing their love. Some Mm. of them express it verbally, some of them express it physically by like maybe uh, holding you on the hand or even some of them would like just tell you, this is my teacher. So it's like, it's so sweet, lah. I would say
3: It's a very cool story. Thanks for sharing that. It, it reminded me actually of the episode that we did L on uh, foster care as well. On like uh, how actually there's a lot of love uh, with with these kids, right? And we tend to forget that that every kid wants to be loved. That every kid uh, has lots of love. And at the end of the day, it's really uh, in us as adults and caregivers and just people around them to actually create an ecosystem for them to, to be loved and for them to thrive, right? And then yeah. once that happens, there's so much that can happen after that.
2: This is a full circle kind of thing, but many, many years ago, probably a decade ago, where I used to stay, there was a mines training center pretty nearby, actually. So we used my mom runs a, her own drama center uh, this is not a, a plug right so that I don't have to pay ourselves for this right <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but essentially, we actually went down to give like drama lessons to some of these uh, to some of these trainees in order to just like enhance their day and get them to vocalize a little bit more it was, and they always came up to us after class and we were like thank you for for and they could express thanks in some in their own little different ways and for me that was like what a such a touching moment so. This is as real as it gets, I suppose, like hearing all these different stories yeah. that everyone just sharing.
3: So here's another myth. A person who is autistic is also intellectually disabled. Not really. Apparently, PWIDs often also display other common co-occurring conditions, usually termed as comorbidities, such as cerebral palsy, epilepsy, or ASD, like Jessica's nephew. A comorbidity is a secondary condition that occurs alongside a primary condition. It does not mean that all with autism or ASD are also intellectually disabled. To further explain, intellectual disability and autism have clearly been defined as separate conditions in DSM-5, which is this handbook that is a guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders by the US and much of the world. And although there may be genetic similarities and similar difficulties in communication, an autistic child, although lacking skills in the social domain, they can be on par with their peers in terms of logical reasoning and problem solving, especially in areas like math or knowledge development. This is a—it's a actually a very interesting thing because I think a lot of people confuse this.
1: Yeah, and at the end of the day, we're all human beings, right? We're all learning how to like, yeah. live and love. Oh my god! I don't want to. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go like live, laugh. I'll get that on
2: a T-shirt for you. I'll get on a T-shirt for you.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I guess like this was why I wanted to include like a section on debunking myths as well because I really just thought it was so important for people to realize that whether or not you you are intellectually disabled, it's a fact that as a human being we're just so different from one another. We all have different needs, and so when it comes to caring for those who are intellectually disabled, I think we have to keep. Um, this in mind, the fact that, you know, these are just myths, they're not facts. And they actually, we should be taking them from a perspective of, okay, how does this help us support this particular child and help them learn and grow better as opposed to like dismissing them or seeing them in that light, you know, as opposed to stereotyping them just because they have these characteristics. So thank you so much, Jessica, for You know, helping us um, debunk these myths by sharing your two cents and giving us your personal experience. We're going to be going for a little break. And when we come back, we're going to be chatting with Jessica more on her insights and perspectives as a volunteer. So we've been talking a lot about PWIDS, but uh, let's hear from Jessica, like her side of things as as a caregiver. How can we care for these caregivers? Stay tuned. back from the break Uh, thanks for joining us here on SG Explained once again it's myself Charmian together with Rovic as well as Elliot and we have our special guest Jessica who is a caregiver so we're doing a special episode this time around to celebrate their 50th anniversary and just a while ago we were talking about uh, the characteristics of you know people with intellectual disabilities how can we care for them if we understand them better and now we're gonna kind of switch gears a little bit, I would say, because I kind of want to bring the attention to Jessica as the caregiver herself. And hey, by the way, if you're listening to this and um, during the episode, you find that you're actually interested in joining Minds NYG and their volunteer program, then please stay to the end for all the details. So Jessica, you mentioned that you've been doing this for about two years, right? Do you see yourself like doing this, you know, I guess long-term with Minds MYG?
0: Yeah, we also have like many alumni coming back to join us uh, in in our CCA.
1: That's very cool actually. I mean, just speaking about these different like
2: branches and groups, Minds MYG's direct service comprises of 11 project groups that provide weekly three-hour social, recreational and training activities for approximately 200 beneficiaries on either Saturdays or Sundays. Each project group serves beneficiaries of different age groups and functions, uh, ranging from children to adults, and from low to medium and even high support needs. Jessica, having volunteered for two years, how do we determine what the beneficiaries' needs are in terms of like this category of like low, medium, or high?
0: Maybe different mind center may have like a different approach, but based on my experience at my center, we actually determine their needs according to their verbal and understanding level. So, like, for instance, like, how verbal they are and also how well they can take in instructions and understand what is required of them for, like, any task without assistance.
2: Oh, very cool. Mm. A- and if someone wanted to join MYG as a volunteer, you know, what was the process like? Even for yourself, like, how, you know, how do you sign up for these things? Uh, Do you have to undergo, like, training in order to be ready for to care for some of these beneficiaries?
0: Actually, you can just head on to this, like, website at www.myg.org.sg and you can actually fill out the volunteer application form. So, uh, they will actually oh. reach out to you on how you can, like, join us. And as for training, there is actually no formal need for, like, any onboarding training because, mm. like uh, I've mentioned earlier, actually, each PWID is actually very individual, there's no really like a
2: these are step one to ten to like it's like baking it's not like baking a cake, you know what I'm saying? Yes,
0: correct. I can still mess up baking a cake, even with that. So of course there'll be like some do's and don'ts so that we all like establish some basic rules.
1: More more like guidelines, right?
0: Mm, more guide than anything guidelines. else. Yeah. yeah okay. Correct.
1: Then the most important qualities of like a caregiver or a volunteer would be for the lack of a better word, like passion and like a love to want to help people.
0: Definitely, definitely. Passion is definitely needed. I feel like for volunteering it's really it it should come from the heart. uh. It should really be like the passion to want to volunteer and not really like the need to do so.
2: If there's one thing on SG explain, every time our guests come on, there's one word we used to describe them is passionate. (laughs) Like there's never a single person who comes on here. It's like, yeah, I'm actually talking about this topic, but I don't really feel much for it. Like everyone here really wants to like put their best foot forward and I can really feel it from the way you even describe how you go on your day-to-days with
3: uh, MYG. Can you tell us a bit more about what an MYG session is like with a beneficiary? Is there a difference between the sessions that are curated for those who are intellectually disabled, those with ASD or those with Down syndrome?
0: Uh my center, we usually do our sessions like in three parts. So like firstly, we'll actually start off with sing-along whereby uh, they will actually all gather around to dance and also sometimes to sing uh, if they are verbal enough to like like sing to the tune but mainly we would like dance along to like a 4 to 5 familiar classics like YMCA Lemon Tree I believe these are songs that y'all might have heard before how
3: come you never bring it up to date like Ed Sheeran Taylor Swift Excuse me, Lemon Tree is still very relevant, okay? You don't anyhow, oh, still love that song.
0: Yeah, actually, we do have, like, some uh modern song, like, Fireworks. Oh, like, oh Fireworks. okay. Oh, yeah, we do have this kind of songs. Wait, but Fireworks was, mean- like,
2: 2010, I think.
0: Bro, can you not? It's still in the Billboard Top 100,
1: okay? <laughs>
2: so- oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, DJ Charmian I'm sorry. What was really allowing... They do YMCA, dude. Like, I, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. That's so cool. Yeah.
3: How come you don't do M I N D S? My God. <laughs> How no to ruin <laughs> yeah, so to, do. How to ruin your cool rap. Yeah, his cool rap, right? He's trying to prove something. Like I'm feeling like a dad today. It's just all my dad though. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, okay. Actually came up from some of our volunteers. They actually come up with the moves themselves. And then we will move on to CDT. So C D T is known as the curricular developmental training. So what we do is like some activities that I mentioned just now. For example, recently we had the graduation ceremony. So what they, we did is we had the trainees to do a cut for our graduating seniors. So uh, they will actually like decorate. Or like usually we will have like themed activities. Mm-hmm. Like healthy living, hygiene. So uh, things like that. They will learn some hand washing. How to present themselves in a better way outside. Things like that. We recap some skills so like example if you're lost what should you do uh should you can approach someone and also some
2: social skills as well right involved in the mix that's awesome
0: yes correct correct i
2: can't remember where i heard this from a while back but you know the headphones that are packed on like your flights for sq some of the people are trained alongside with uh minds people to to do the packing so every time you take your headphones and you plug into the jack that's Someone from my inspected.
0: Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. They are quite independent actually on their own. Some of them can even travel on their own.
2: Like you really cover the things that would help help them and able to live their best life as well, which is which is really awesome. Yeah.
0: What what we aim to do here is really to help them to be a little bit more independent and also just to make sure that they continue to move. Like mentally and physically, so that they they don't deteriorate in that in that area.
3: What's the sort of expectations for volunteers? Right, is it that you have to commit to a certain amount of time? Because I can imagine with any sort of work with beneficiaries, direct support, you are building a relationship. It's not nice for that person to disappear after like one or two sessions. So how do you how do you norm? I guess expectations around commitment
0: us as volunteers we definitely encourage our volunteers to like really commit frequently and also for as long as they can so like for our alumni they actually you can see them coming back themselves like every time because they truly have this like special bond that they they bond with their trainees like even for that for the trainee that i mentioned that she said she love i love you to the to the teacher that she she's very close to right it's it's because she comes to session very often and that's how like she forms this like trust this bond and this relationship with this teacher and to be proud to say this is my teacher volunteering should come from the heart and not really like a with a need to go kind of thing
3: i think it goes back to sort of the the core idea that if you are volunteering you have to really be clear on why right like what's what's your passion what's your interest and then from that why then be committed to it rather than to just see it as like oh you know i'm Curious, I uh, go check it out. Then start, stop, start, stop, and actually, that's not good for anyone, right? So, sort of be very clear on on the time you can give, the regular cadence you can commit to, and then and then build that relationship, right? Because at the end of the day, like that's the that's the value of the work.
1: I mean, I think you you brought up a great point, Rovi because at the end of the day, you you want to form that relationship, right? And I think it's very important to build trust uh, with the beneficiaries. Some people. Start and stop, because I don't think people realize it actually takes up a lot of emotional energy, and I remember I was in my like volunteering phase when I was still in school, and I was really, really passionate about it, right? But every time I finish a session, I feel so sad on the inside. I don't know if it's just me, but I actually felt mentally and emotionally drained, and I realized, okay, I need to kind of set boundaries for myself when it comes to volunteering because you could have like a very strong passion to help people, and that's great, but the bigger the flame burns, (laughs) the easier it burns out as well. So I go to my next question for you, Jessica. You've been doing this for a long time, right? And I guess for a lot of the volunteers with Minds MRG, you guys have been doing this for a long time. So how do you guys take care of yourselves? Like, it is really not easy to want to come to the session every Saturday when friends your age or, you know, like your own social circle have their own stuff going on that Saturday right so how how do you like manage your own like energy I guess being a caregiver
0: self-care is actually very important for caregivers themselves also because like I mentioned uh, very emotionally and also physically draining at times especially depending on the spectrum of our trainee maybe my nephew is a bit more towards the the less active so he's not say very hyperactive or it's not that difficult to care for him but there are instances where there are trainees of a lower spectrum and they may have instances of meltdowns and stuff which makes it even more physically and emotionally draining to even like uh, calm them down and stuff so self-care is definitely important so actually what uh, we could actually encourage us out uh, caregivers out there is actually to know that they are not alone uh, and that should they should never feel alone. I think it's very beneficial that we actually uh, stay connected with our friends, family or even like with our volunteers that we volunteer together with. Because they understand you and they can actually share with you how to counter those stress and everything. And also, like, uh, they should not be afraid of communicating your emotions. Ah. So, like, if you are stressed or, like, you mentioned, like, sometimes it's very overwhelming and you feel, you feel, like, sad or something, you can always, like, share your emotions with your friends, your family. And like, even those that you volunteer together with. And also just to remember at the end of the day, especially if you are interacting with PWIDs, is that they express their feelings and imp- appreciation in very different ways. And you just need to know that deep in their heart, lah, is we are like dearest to them. And someone that we look they look up to, if it's like, it gets too overwhelming and there's no other solution. Actually approaching a professional social worker, about the difficulties that we face and so that we can get proper resources and guidance on how to care for them is actually much more beneficial for our loved ones and ourselves also rather than stressing it all on ourselves.
1: Thank you so much for for sharing that because I think for a lot of people, like maybe to them, they don't really have experiences with um, uh, people with intellectual disabilities, but I also understand that there are families out there who deal with this day in day out. It's not a it's not even a weekly thing anymore. It's not even like I'm passionate about this and I volunteer. It just is their life, right? And when I think about these caregivers who enter into a lifelong commitment that they didn't ask for, um like my heart goes out to them because I like you mentioned just reminding them that they're not alone and that they do have a support system people who are going through the same thing, who are caring for loved ones with, you know, intellectual disabilities really, really helps them. And and just having that understanding that, yeah, like you said, it's unintentional. And I think that's such a such an important point to drive home.
2: The fact that Jessica, you are volunteering your time on a weekly basis, I think, mm. goes to show that it's in all of us, not to say that you're an average person, right? But I'm saying like we're all capable <laughs> of actually going out there to make a difference.
3: Jessica, thanks for coming on our show. I think every time we have a guest it's very heartfelt to be able to hear the stories and and connect with stuff that i guess frankly al and i won't be able to connect with and to you know hopefully shed some light on stuff that's happening in singapore i think mm. you know even from the days of running the hidden good i've always known that there's so much that's happening right to build community to build relationships with all sorts of people and uh, people need to know about it because that's the starting point. Creating awareness is the starting point to inviting action and inviting collaboration. So hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this, you feel like you can connect to the cause, you feel like you can connect to what minds and the whole community is doing, then, you know, don't stop yourself from reaching out. Find out more and participating.
1: And the website to find out more about uh, Minds MYG's volunteering program is over at myg.org.sg. All the details that you need and to join the team are over there. Also, big shout out to Chang Hong because he's a fan of our show and he actually linked us up with Jessica. So thank you so much, Chang Hong.
3: (laughs) See, this is what we talk about when we say our listeners... You know, we love you guys. You can always reach out to us and make something. Yeah, (laughs) we want to. Yeah,
2: we want to put stories out there just as much.
1: (laughs) Jessica, before
0: we wrap up the episode, is there anything else that you want to add? When we come across people with ID, we can actually all be a little bit more understanding towards them. Mm. So, uh, Mm. let's say we have situation whereby a PWID is actually acting out like meltdown in public or something we can all be a little bit more considerate for the caregivers and also the PWID we can always give them some space to do what they need and then um, maybe we can always approach the person to ask if they they will need any like help or any assistance and if they don't need We can always just try to leave them alone so that they have their space to do what they need to do. So I feel like with just this little bit of understanding, it can just help to build that support and make them feel more integrated.
1: What a beautiful way to wrap up the episode.
0: And also what a beautiful soul,
1: (laughs) Jessica.
2: Yeah, wow. Very, um, the Chinese saying is, and i is a liu You know, like, wow, I really just... I thought you were until... gonna go
1: for some, like, profound Mandarin proverb. You know me, I
2: don't have profound Mandarin proverbs in my vocabulary. That ain't me, you know? <laughs> like, that is 100% not Elliot territory come on mate
1: (laughs) you know what thank you so much Jessica for being here with us today Uh, we certainly learned so much about people with intellectual disabilities how to care for them how to care for the people who are caring for them as well Uh, once again this is SGA Explained by the way hit us up and let us know like which are your favorite episodes of the season and of course if you want to reach out to us and uh, share your story please go ahead and reach out to us in our DMs in our emails bye guys we'll catch you in the next episode Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.